This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Last week, we started a series on our values as a church. We have five values. These values stem from our vision as a church, and our vision is captivating generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. These five values are then how we accomplish that vision. Last week, we looked at the first one, which is God's word. God's word is our final authority. It's what we look to. It's what we see as everything. It's our foundation. It's infallible. It's inerrant. This is what God has said. And today I have the privilege and honor of speaking on gospel centrality. Gospel centrality. Even in our, our vision, it speaks about captivating generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel literally means good news. It's a message. And gospel centrality is showing us how the gospel message must be the main focus, must be our aim, must be central in all that we do and all that we say. And the Bible itself, I believe, actually teaches us that. That for this message, I can actually go anywhere in the scriptures and show you the gospel. Because Jesus himself says that all of the scripture, everything's written in the law, the prophets, everything is about him. And so as a church, we want to be focused on the gospel. And so for today, I, I chose 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so you can turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Paul actually shows us that this should be our aim. This should be our focus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in the New Testament. And I want us to look at this passage from three points. The power of God, the foolishness of God, and the worship of God. I know that second point might sound absurd, but quickly, two things. One, the text says the foolishness of God. And secondly, I'll explain it when we get to it. <laughs> of God, the foolishness of God, and the worship of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Let me read that for us. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now it's important that we understand context. Even when you're reading another book or watching a movie, you don't just jump into the middle without knowing what has happened beforehand. Paul, the, the, the writer of this letter, is writing to the church in Corinth. And he gives thanks for them in the beginning because they've been enriched with all speech and knowledge of God. And yet he has a concern. In fact, if you read throughout read the letter... There are many concerns. And the first one that he brings up is division in the church. Division in the church. That the people there are quarreling amongst each other. Why? Because of tribalism. There are tribes that are forming in the church where one person is saying, you know, I follow Paul. Somebody else, I follow Peter. Someone else, I follow Apollos. And then the really spiritual ones say, I follow Jesus. And this is creating division and disunity and quarreling in the body of Christ. And so what's Paul's solution? It's actually the gospel. And actually, any issue, the solution is going to be Christ. And I don't mean this in any simplistic way. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel message. Paul wants to show the church that it's not based on his words of wisdom, but it's the cross. And that's the focus. But he starts off this section with a contrast. As those who are perishing versus those who are being saved. So the word of the cross, that is the cross of Christ, that's the gospel message, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This message is folly. Or foolishness to those who are perishing, those who have turned away from God, those who have rejected Jesus. But to us, as us who are being saved, it's everything. It's the very power of God. And this is not the first time Paul has said this. He says this also in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. 
What is Paul speaking of here? He's speaking specifically of the preached message. Let me just think about that for a second. That is insane. That is amazing. How is it possible that a message, words coming out of our mouth, can be the power of God? Now think about that for a second, or a minute, or a day, or a few weeks. Think about the power of God. When you think about the power of God, what comes to mind? Perhaps it's God creating the world by just speaking. And notice how Paul's focus here is that the gospel message, the word spoken, preached, proclaimed, declared, is the power of God. How so? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. Something or someone dead doesn't need a band-aid. They need resurrection. And that resurrection is through the gospel message proclaimed and preached. God uses the preaching of his message to save people. This is the the means or the instrument by which it happens. So if you have family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors that don't know Jesus, they need to hear the gospel. That means us opening up our mouth and telling them about Jesus. And so as a church body, our our focus needs to be preaching Christ. That God in his mercy might resurrect some. Just as he has resurrected some of us. Paul paints this contrast, too, between folly and wisdom. He speaks about the, quote-unquote, wisdom of the world. But Paul says that people didn't know God. That at some point, if you're a Christian, you did not know God. That we were far away from God following our own desires, thinking we were wise. And yet it pleased God through the preaching of the gospel to save us. Paul says that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Think about when Jesus was on earth. Many times they would ask him, show us a sign. Show us proof. Show us evidence of who you are. But Jesus had already been doing signs. He'd been performing miracles. So why is it that they didn't believe? Because they were in darkness. 
Their, heart, their hearts were hard. They didn't want Jesus. As Paul said, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The Greeks, the non-Jewish people, especially during the time and in the place of Corinth, wisdom was upheld. Philosophy. Those who are wise and intelligent, those who have all the answers. That's what they want. That's what they want to see. And yet, Paul says we preach Christ crucified. He says it's a stumbling block to Jews. Think about if you're walking or jogging or running and there's a big block in the road and you trip over it and you fall. The picture here that Paul gives is that the Jews cannot comprehend this. It's a stumbling block. It's confusing. It's difficult. Why? Because their whole thought about the Messiah, that is the promised one of the Old Testament, was that this man would come and rescue us from Roman oppression. He would come in, take out his sword. He would destroy the Romans. He would set up his kingdom on earth and we would be free from our slavery. And yet, Jesus does something far greater. Because there's a far greater slavery and oppression and it's not external, it's internal. It's inside of us. It's our hearts that needed to be rescued and set free. And so Jesus comes and he dies. Why would Messiah suffer and die? He's supposed to be a king. Stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. Your God is on a cross? How? Why? It's foolishness. It's folly. It's pointless. It makes no sense. But to us, it does. Those of us who are in Christ, this message, this gospel is everything. Paul says it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It was unexpected. This is why Paul could say and speak of the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God. Let's look at verses 25 through 28. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. This was unexpected. It's very counter our culture. When you think about success, you think about power, someone rising to power, they do so in a way where they are just destroying everyone and anything. Think about sports. If you're on a team, the point is to win, not to lose. You have to score as many points as possible. For school, you got to do really well. You got to get those grades up. It's all about doing well in school. For your job, your career, you want to do your job in a way that is excellent. And if you want to get to a better and higher position, you have to work harder, maybe more hours. But the focus is on success. The focus is on victory and overcoming. But the message of the cross is different. Unexpected. And you actually see this throughout the the Old Testament. Think about David. When Samuel came to anoint the future king, he looked at all his other brothers first. And when he looked at the first brother, surely this is the one that God desires. God reminds him that man looks at the outward appearance. And God looks at the heart. He looked at King Saul. Handsome, tall. Surely he's going to be a great king. But he wasn't. It's unexpected. I know we're less than 14 weeks away from Christmas but it's okay for us to talk about the incarnation. In fact, it's a good thing to speak about Christ coming in the flesh at any time of the year. And if you think about the plan of redemption, the plan of redemption, that is that the triune God, think about this for a second, the triune God existed before the world was even created. Perfect joy, perfect fellowship amongst the members of the Trinity, not needing anyone or anything self-sufficient God. And the plan of God was that the Father would send the Son to redeem a people for himself. But this was unexpected. Think about even the birth of Christ. Luke 2, 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. A manger with animals? Not a comfy bed? Hey, Jesus didn't come in with the the red carpet and flashing lights. Lowly in a manger. Humble and meek and gentle. Unexpected. And yet even in his hometown, he was rejected. Jesus said that foxes have holes. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus' own family thought he was crazy and out of his mind. John 1 tells us that he came to his own and his people, his own people knew him not. They rejected him. They turned away from him. They were hostile towards him. Jesus himself was despised and led as a lamb to the slaughter. Silent. When they insulted him, he did not return insults. Jesus was weak. He was shamed. He was brought low. And Paul reminds us that it's God who chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. He chose what is low and low and despised in the world. And here we have the God of the universe hanging on a cross. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a crown of thorns jammed onto his head, seemingly defeated. And this is your God? He's being mocked on the cross by the Romans. He's being mocked on the cross by the criminals. He himself is deemed a criminal and guilty. And this is the message that Paul preaches. It is the death of Christ, the one who bore all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt hanging on the cross, bore it all for us. It is the death of Christ that brings about life, life eternal. This is what God chose to save us, to redeem us. It's nothing else, brothers and sisters. This is the message. And this is the message we should be preaching every week. This is the message that as individuals, we want to be centered on in our lives. That when we wake up in the morning, we remind ourselves of the glorious truths of the gospel. It's not by my wisdom. It's not by my strength. It is only the grace of God. It is through this and only through this that God can get all the glory. 
only through this. See, the reason why Paul says the foolishness of God is because he's saying that in the eyes of the world, this is foolishness. In the eyes of the world, this is foolishness. But Paul says even this, the quote-unquote foolishness of God is wiser, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, why would God do this? Why would God do this? I mean, no one, no one would ever think to create and write a story like this. The gospel is so different than any other message that you will hear. Every other religion will preach to you a message that is so different than this message. All the other religions can be summed up in you do it. You earn your way to God. You try hard. Pick yourself up. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. And the gospel message says you can't. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. And why? So that God can get all the glory. All the glory. Let's look at the worship of God. The worship of God. Verses 29 through 31. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's conclusion in this section He gives us a purpose clause. A purpose clause is when you see the words, so that. What's the purpose of this, Paul? What are you trying to tell us here? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There are many things that we might boast in. We might say that we are great golfers. We might say that we are really smart and and wise and intelligent. We might think that we're really good looking, we're fast. Whatever it may be, we might have this great resume, this great pedigree. Look how great I am. But Paul says that the purpose of the gospel and and God's plan was so that we might not boast. We might not brag. We might not be proud of ourselves. Think about it. Paul says that 
No human being might boast in the presence of God. One day, every single one of us in this room, we are going to stand before God. Every single one of us. And if you were to stand before God and you say, God, I have a list for you of why I should be allowed entrance into your kingdom. I was at church almost every week. I read my Bible. I prayed. I gave to charity. I gave to the church. I served in the church. I stood up for people. I was nice. That's boasting. And so why would we try to boast in front of God when we stand before God one day? Why are we going to boast now? And perhaps we might not verbalize these things, but do we think these things where we compare ourselves to other people in the church? Where we might say, at least I'm not like that person. Or I do this more and better than that person. See, pride and entitlement can destroy churches. See, Paul is writing to people who are elevating their leaders. who are elevating their leaders above Christ. And that can destroy a local church. That will create more and more division within a body. We praise God for pastors in our church. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that pastors are gifts to the church. But we must remember, I must remember, that there is one chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. I am an under-shepherd of a local body. So that even I, as a pastor, cannot boast. So that when you and I stand before God... That I don't have a list. Oh no, I don't have a list. I have one thing to say. Jesus earned my righteousness. God, it wasn't anything I did. Nothing. In fact, I deserve your just punishment. Because guess what? I boast. I boast in my own wisdom. I boast in my own quote-unquote strength. And that's why I need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who was humble the one who never boasted, never bragged, 
never wanted the center of attention. It was him who was led to a cross, naked, shamed, to clothe me with his righteousness. So if you are sitting here and you are trusting in your own wisdom, trusting in your own strength, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He's the only one that can save you so that you would not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. Paul says in verse 30, and because of him, right? All the glory and honor goes to God. It's not me. It's not you. It's not anyone else. It's because of him. And because of him, we are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in regards to our union with Christ. He speaks about that throughout his letters. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. That's our union with Christ. That Christ is everything. He's our wisdom. It's the plan of God before the world was even created. He's our righteousness. He earned it for us. He's our sanctification. He's the one that keeps us till the end. He's our redemption because he purchased us with his blood. And so when we boast, our only boast can be in the Lord can only be in Christ. And as a church, as as members of this body, we want to and need to guard that. Because there's temptations to look at other means to grow a church. But God's word needs to be the foundation. The gospel needs to be central. If you're a Christian, at some point, someone preached the gospel to you. Or you read the scriptures and you realized your sin and your need for Jesus Christ. And God's plan of redemption was so that he would get all the glory. When it comes to our salvation, all we could say is, thanks be to God. Because there's no way, there's no way in our wisdom and in our strength that we can earn our way to God. And so think about what it looks like to boast in the Lord, to boast in Christ. Is that in our conversations with one another? Is to be reminding each other about the grace of God in our lives. That we don't try to belittle anyone. That we remember that as Christians, we are all growing in maturity and that we all actually need the grace of God. So Paul's solution to, to pride is the gospel message. 
The gospel reminds us that, hey, you deserve hell. Then why am I boasting? Why am I proud? Why am I arrogant? If I deserve hell and it was the grace of God that rescued me and saved me, then thanks be to God. And that my brothers and sisters need that same grace as well. We must be reminded it wasn't by our wisdom, not by our strength, not by any worldly standard of wisdom that we could obtain our salvation. It was someone else who by his perfect obedience, his humility, his righteousness, that he earned it for us. And then died as a substitute in our place many, many years ago. So that even till today, we preach Christ crucified. And so as a church, let us Pray that our church would be focused and centered on the gospel message. And that we would guard that by the grace of God and that God would empower us to do so. Would you pray with me? Father, you are amazing and majestic and mighty and you have planned to save and redeem us for yourselves we thank you for Christ the very one who has earned our salvation for us through his suffering through his death and through his resurrection Lord, I pray that our church will be centered and focused on Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus will keep us till the end. That we can trust him, we can delight in him. And we can remind one another of how amazing and glorious he is. We give you thanks, Lord. I pray, God, that you would draw those to yourself who don't know you, who haven't put their faith in Christ. I pray that you would grant them repentance. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.